0: Good morning how's everyone doing See, I don 't know about you, but but my favorite hymn of all time is "A Mighty Fortress is Our God," written by martin luther it 's got a really cool words to it and, <laughs> but it 's deep in theology. Ah, I love that yeah that's, that's rich. I love the richness of that that hymn <coughs> If you have your Bibles today, open up to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Feel free to grab one. I know there's a uh, a new thing called a cell phone where you can pull up Bibles on the app, but I prefer paper. <laughs> I'm old school. Ephesians chapter 6. And yeah, Sharon's got Bibles in the back if anyone wants a Bible, please We've got plenty. Raise your hand. We are a Bible-studying, teaching, Lord-willing, living church. Amen. Let me read. I'm going to read the first, I mean, from verse 10 to 18. That's our main thing, but we're going to look at one phrase at one verse as we're going to camp out. All right? Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's Ephesians 6.10. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, and to this end being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, As well as on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. What a big topic that is for one thing, right? But what a relevant topic, a very relevant topic for the believer And I don't know about you, but it seems like Satan, and he knows his time is short, and it seems like things are getting even more and more intense, not just around the world, but in our lives as well. And the idea of spiritual warfare here that's repeated three or four times is the idea of standing firm. Right? We looked at that last week. We looked at, first of all, the first week we looked at that Jesus Christ is the victor. Right? He's already won the war. So even when things look terrible out in the world, Jesus Christ has already won the world. See, the devil has already lost the war, and his days are numbered. One little angel, <laughs> one little word shall fell him, according to the hymn, and once some angel will cast that serpent of old into the pit, right? Into the lake of fire. One little angel, unnamed. God will say, hey, go get, get to that serpent who's been bothering my people for all this time and just take him away. So his days are numbered, and he knows it. Now, he wants to convince you that he's won. Because sometimes he works you over a little bit more, and you're thinking, how is the world? But Jesus Christ is the victor. That's the first principle of spiritual warfare. We don't battle for victory. We battle from victory. Amen? Yes. And then we saw that strength begins in weakness. Spiritual strength begins when you recognize your weakness. Because he says, look at verse 10. He says what? Be strong in the Lord. If you're strong in yourself, you won't be strong in the Lord. So you gotta learn your own weakness. You gotta learn what weakness feels like and looks like, so you can cry out and say, God, you be my strength. See, so many Christians are trying to go out and do and work hard for Jesus in their own strength. Right? And if you're your own strength, you are not walking in the power of God. And then last week we looked at we started looking at the schemes of the enemy. You see that in verse, uh, verse 11, right? Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We looked at the first, really the first one was this, is this. He begins to attack what and how you think. He attacks the mind. That is, that is a, a battleground in the scheme. And we looked at a bunch of things last week. So today I want to look at another scheme of the devil. And it's actually a very, very old scheme. And it's been around for a long time. That's the scheme of temptation, see if the principle is this look at verse look at verse 11 he says put on the full armor of god so that you will be able to what stand firm right and he says stand firm in verse 13 he says resist in the evil day same idea and stand firm and the verse 14 stand firm and the idea was standing firm in the truth right because remember Ephesians 4 he gives pastors and teachers so that we would be mature so that we wouldn't be um look look at chapter 4 look at chapter 4 real fast verse 14 chapter 4 verse he's pastors and teachers equip the saints work of service building of the body of Christ to we achieve uh slow down here slow down here <laughs> into we treat, achieve maturity and the unity of the faith, right? So that verse 14 we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every and that's all he does. He tries to give, you know. But standing firm is standing firm in the truth of the gospel truth that's foundational of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done. We stand firm in that. So here's what the devil does. He'll try direct attacks to get you to not stand firm, the accusations, the insinuations, the battle of the mind, all that, right? But if he can't get you to leave your post by that method, he'll try a different method, allurement, enticement, through temptation. That's how it will often work for most of us. He, he did that from the beginning, right? See, he'll attack us to, he'll tempt us to sin just as he tempted Eve in the garden, just as he tempted our Lord in the desert, and he's very subtle. Uh, there's a great uh, book called "It's in fact." It's I, I showed it to some people yesterday. It's probably this thick. It's William Gurnall's uh, "The Christian uh, in Complete Armor." It was written in 1600s in England. Okay, he takes spiritual warfare and he. This isn't this. This book is about seven seven hundred pages long, small print, double columned. If it was regular, it would be over a thousand pages long. Okay, it's that it's that deep, all right? He makes his comment. He says Satan was too crafty for man in his perfection, much more now in his maimed estate, having never recovered from the first crack he got in his understanding by the fall of man. In other words, this Satan through temptation. Caused Adam, who was good and complete, and he's, you know perfect—not like God's perfect—but you know what I'm saying he was the, and he caused Adam to fall in that state. Adam was no match for the serpent in the garden. Now, if he caused pre-fall man, Adam, to be susceptible to temptation, those of us who are fallen, he's had all this time to perfect wisdom how to attack mankind that's why when it comes to, to you know when it comes before god in the book of job which god says have you seen my servant job yeah he's righteous but only because you protect him let me have Adam and then you'll see what he'll curse you and he'll do all and that's the battle right because he understands what make man, what makes man sick he understands our weaknesses and he understands how to get us and so he'll try that through his temptation all the more reason to be armed with the armor of God, amen? Yeah. And we saw last week that the armor isn't just the armor that God gives, it's also the, uh, the armor that God wears. Not that God needs armor, but it's what it is His own righteousness that defends us. It's, it's His own, it's own faithfulness that defeats us, that, that defends us, rather. It doesn't defeat us, it defends us. <laughs> That's the coffee speaking, right? So here's His goal. So if we're to stand firm, his goal is to entice us to sin, to allure us into sin. And that's why, if he does that, he allures us into sin. Then what he does there, he then accuses us. He leads us into sin, but then he beats us up because of the sin he enticed us to do, doesn't he? He beats us up, works us over, condemns us troubles us, harasses us, judges us. He says, hey, give in to this. And once you give in, how could you do that? And then he beats you up. Some people, some believers still struggle right now over past sins that have been repented of and forgiven of. He's still living in the past because the devil's working you over. I hate him, all right? You're not supposed to hate anyone, but you can hate the devil, okay? Hate evil. Anyway. So there's three ways. I want to look at three ways of his subtlety, of his scheming, of his drawing into sin, and how that's seen. It's seen in three ways. First of all, it's seen in the timing of the temptation. In the timing of the temptation. Satan knows when to make his approaches, when he's most likely to be listened to and entertained, when the most likely time that you'll Give in to his things. First of all, to the new believer, the new believer, just come to the Lord, and no sooner you come to the Lord than the attack comes. There is temptation to make you fall. There's, I mean, there's, there's a discouragement. There's a question. That decision meant nothing. Nothing really happened. You're just the same old person. You're, 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 you're fooling yourself. You think you're a believer. He sends all that because he knows that if God's root takes place in your, I'm thinking about the word of God that takes root within the heart of, of a person and then matures and it grows to fruition, that's dangerous for the devil. So if he can cause that to, if he can mess with that, that word that's implanted and that, and that fresh little, that young one that's been, that's been born, he wants to destroy, just like he did with the infants in Egypt and destroy the infants. and the infants at Herod's time, he wants to destroy the new believer. And so he'll throw, all, he'll, he'll send friends your way. Hey, come on, friend, let's, and you just became a believer, and you just gave your life to Christ, and you just made him, you just accepted and yielded him, and then he'll send, he'll send your friends this way. Come on, let's go out, let's do the things we used to do, you know? And then still he reminders. hey, you call yourself a Christian, you're still doing the sin. You're a brand new baby. You're still spitting up in your mother's, you know, baby thing, you know? And he'll do that. Not just to a new believer. He'll he'll attack the believer when we are in distress, All right? When we're in pain, when we're in trouble, the pain, the the devil will come and he'll, Here's where it is: the temptation of doubt. All right? Oh, God has forgotten about you. You're in pain. You know how many of you guys like being in pain? No volunteers. And sometimes the pain gets so much, and it starts to feel the crushing. And then the distress happens. And you wonder, and Satan says, you know, God's forgotten by you, and this is pur- this is pointless. What you're going through is pointless. How could he allow you to suffer? Isn't he a powerful God? I thought God's all-powerful. Look at what he's doing to you. Oh, my goodness. That's just, you just hear the slitherliness of this of accusing God? And here's what he'll do when you're in pain. And he'll he'll say, there's no purpose that God has for you in this trial. There's no way out. All you see is all that's ever gonna happen. Even God Himself can't help you out. Oh, that's a temptation of the devil. And when you're in pain, you'll start believing a lot of things, right? Because now you're susceptible to hearing because you want to get out. Oh, can I press a button? Just whatever it is, I'll do what you say to get me out of the pain. Precious child, that's that that's that's the devil. That's easy. That's that's the that's the kingdom without the cross, basically, right? See, he'll tempt you to isolate and withdraw. You ever notice that when you're going through a lot of stuff, you say, you know, I just need by myself for, for a while. I need to avoid fellowship with believers, so I'm going to handle on my own, so that I can then, when I feel ready, I'll go fellowship with the believers. But the thing is the opposite. Because you are, uh, you'll isolate, and then you'll get cold and hard and distant, right? You say, don't come to church when you feel perfect. Come to church when you're... It's like you go to the hospital when you're sick, right? Don't say, I'll go to the hospital when I feel better, right? But the devil says, hey, you're in pain. You need to avoid these people. No, what you need is the loving arms of the body of Christ to love and pray over you and pray for you and love on you and care for you and listen, not judge you, but listen and say, I need help, I'm in distress. Hey, sister, brother, let's pray, you know? Yeah, there's times when we need time alone. I get that, you know, personal time, we all need that. You know what I'm saying? Some people want to isolate, or they want to build up walls. Right? Oh, you're uh, hey, hey, you can't let these people in. So you come in with a wall around you and you you have this shrubbery, this this it's like my tree in my front yard. It looks beautiful. It's full of thorns. I mean hanging Christmas decorations is is literally a pain because the thing is full of thorns. And you want to get close to the thing, but you're thorny because you've been hurt. And so what you do, you, 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 the temptation is build up the wall. Let no one else in. Oh, God help that. If you let somebody in, they'll does take advantage of you. And the devil was like, hey, see, you can't trust anyone. Right? And so he'll tempt you that way. He'll say, you can't trust anyone. Don't let them in. They just want to hurt you. That's from the devil. Now here's the thing. My prayers for our church is that we would that God would keep us a loving group. We're not here to judge one another. We all come from different backgrounds, different religious, you know, like, you know, may Christian religion, you know, conservative to Pentecost to everything, and different life experiences, right? Some people have grown up in the church from prenatal care to, <laughs> to grandmotherhood, right? And some have not. They just started coming. And so we look and say, you know, some are still dressed in the rags and clothed with the pig filth. They come in from the, from the field where they've been. And guess what? We need to love them the same, right? Not only will he, will he tempt you when you're a new believer, uh, when you're a believer, when you're in distress, he'll tempt you with impatience. He'll tempt you with impatience. Pressure is on, the pain is intense, and things aren't going your way. Things are. Lord, when is this going to lift? These, this is not fast enough. You say, God, you're not moving fast. Let me, in fact, let me take control, God. If I were in control, I wouldn't be in this situation. I would be happy. How many of you guys have felt that way? Yeah. You've been in a place where you've been in distress, and you say, Lord, if I just were in control, or if I can tell people how to live, and I can control what they, what they do would affect me, so I wouldn't have to deal with the pressure. of the, you know, that's, there's, that's, You see that? No, if you were in charge... Uh, you may be in a worse place. When Eve sinned, and Adam and Eve sinned, it was basically saying, God, I'm in charge now. Be careful being in charge. I mean, you know what I'm saying. In the spiritual, obviously at home, you know, mother and father. You know what I'm saying, end of your own life. And so he'll tempt you to want to, and he'll tempt you when you are weak, in Luke 4, it was Jesus fasting 40 days, and then he became hungry. Now, is he in a strong place or in a weak place there? Extremely weak place and vulnerable. And he'll attack you when you're weak and vulnerable. You're tired, you've been sick, you're isolated, you're going through stress. That's when he's going to attack you. He may not attack, well, he will attack you, and he'll look for every opportunity. But one of the significant ways is when you are weak, and when you are least expecting it. Turn with me to Second uh, to Samuel real fast, because it'll tempt you when you're alone and when you're least expecting it. I'm going to go through a bunch of verses, so we're going to do uh, sermon Bible study. Second Samuel, this is a famous scene. Second Samuel, over to your left, you'll find uh, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles together. So it's, it's, it's 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and Second Kings, first is second chronicle so second samuel 11 look at what it says here this is re- regarding the idea of that he'll tempt you when you're alone and when you're least expecting it watch this second samuel 11 says now it happened in the spring at the time when the when kings go out to battle that david who's david he's a king he sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. David, is not, he's a king, but he's not with the other kings and he's not battling, he stayed back. He's like, you guys go, I'll stay behind. Big mistake right there. Now David's all alone. David's by himself now. David's not. David has big victorious, right? He's he's king. He won over Goliath. He's been, you know, he's, he's done wonderful things, right? So maybe this is a time to just, hey, let me just put the guard down, kind of just relax a little bit, you know, get the iced tea out, and you know, check out the sights of Jerusalem, you know, and just kind of relax, you know. Now, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife, hint, 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 of Uriah the Hittite? By the way, Uriah, your servant, is actually doing the battle out there where you should be? See, David's all alone. He's not expecting this. His guard is down, right? By the way, when, I was, when we were in Israel, we went to the city of David, and they think, the way things were structured, they think, you know, like how condos are like this, and sometimes they have terraces like that? They think that David's house is out here, and Bathsheba's house may have been at, um, like, attached down there. Like it wasn't like across the valley, it was like within sight that he saw her. Ooh, that's, you, you just, you know, you gotta be careful there, right? So, anyway, he'll attack you when you're least expecting it. You go out of town. Go back to uh, go back to the, uh, Ephesians six. You go out of town. Oh, you're with the boy, with the with the ladies, or with the the, the gentlemen, or with or, or you're by yourself. And the temptation hits you out. of You're not expecting it, and there it is. All right, that's when they'll attack. And they'll attack you when you are vulnerable. Go back to Ephesians. You guys back there? Okay. This is still the first point. <laughs> Lord willing, we'll get to the third point. You know. But this is this is this is key here, because we may take it for granted. We like every single day we don't see the enemy is looking, always looking of where and when to attack. To the believer who is doing God's work, or who is bringing God glory, he'll attack, or about to bring God glory. So if you're doing God's work, or if you're In the process of doing something for the Lord, the enemy will come in there. He'll he'll try to prevent that and stop that. Okay, church is growing. Guess what? Spiritual attack will happen. You're making breakthroughs, praying for that loved one. Guess what? Spiritual attack will happen. You'll start arguing with your spouse. You'll start having impatient things, and you'll have weird things happen because you are progressing in the things of God or God has plans for what you want to do, or you have, you know the Lord's leading, he's making headways, and the enemy will try to send reinforcements to bring discouragement to keep you from, pr- 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 uh, from going on with things of God. Turn to, as an example, turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4. Go back to the Old Testament. Hey, we're full Bible fellowship, right? We're, we're a full Bible church, right? Nehemiah. Okay, so where's Nehemiah? Well, it's uh, it's after we were in First and Second Samuel, then Kings, then Chronicles. Right? You'll find Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. You'll you find those books. It's in there. This is after this is after uh, this is after the deportation and Nehemiah is back to help rebuild Jerusalem, specifically the walls of Jerusalem. And so here's what they're doing: they've come back to the Sea of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. They've come back. Nehemiah is in charge of rebuilding the walls. Why do you need walls? Because if you don't have walls, the enemy comes in. Walls and gates are a good idea, right? Keep the bad people out. So that's what they're doing, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Look at, verse, look at chapter 4. Now I know I'm jumping right into this book, but that's okay. Now when it happened, now verse uh, Nehemiah 4, 1. Now it happened that when Samballot, he's a bad guy, we'll just put it that way. When he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and very vexed and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, now here's the scene. These guys are trying to rebuild this wall, right? They've come back. Not many have come back compared to what deported out. Not many came back and they're trying their best to, to you know, and they're, tr- and they're trying to do that in a, in, a, in a short period of time and while they're standing there he speaks with his brothers the wealthy men in Samaria and said what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they complete in a day? Can they bring the stones to life from the dusty rubble though they are burned? You, see, you hear the the, the the attack there? You hear the Ew, what do you think you're doing for God? You think God's going to use you? Who do you think you are? You think what you're doing is, is going to matter? It's going to be nothing, you know? You're just a nobody. You're just a peon, you know? You hear that, you know? That's what the enemy speaking there right now. Now, Tobiah to, now, now to the Ammonite was near him, and he said, now he's another bad guy. Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Like, what you're doing, it's so weak that even a fox can knock it down. See the devil come and you think you, you, you were called to do something for the Lord, and he'll say, "That's so insignificant, no one's going to see it. it's going to matter. No one cares what you're doing." Oh, and you, you want to give up? Right? Who's going to care what you're doing? That's the enemy, discouraging. And if he does that, he's afraid, because he really knows that what you're doing is significant. So he tells you it's insignificant, that what you do it doesn't matter. No one's going to care. No one's going. Just, just quit. Just leave. You know, every person in this house has a ministry that you serve in, and no ministry is insignificant. Now we're a small church. But every member and every ministry is vital. Somebody that wipes the glass doors in the back—that ministry is significant. Sets up the chairs, prays for people, plays the tambourine. We don't have ta- we don't have a tambourine player. You know, maybe we'll do. Every you're praying, or you call somebody up, or you encourage them, or you just have lunch with them. There's significance there. This what I'm doing. Isn't the most? It's it's we're all significant. You know what I'm saying? That's my point is, you don't have to be the person up front to be significant. Sometimes there's a person in the back praying on their hands and knees, saying, "God, you come through." God says, "I hear that prayer." You know. And so He does that. The enemy will will try to prevent you from 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 moving on. And he goes on from there, and and uh, and. Uh, um, In fact, look at verse four. Hear, O God, for we are despised, return the reproach on their own heads, and give up their plunder in the land of captivity. And 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 they continue to work according to verse six. I'll come back to that verse in a few minutes. But that's what the what he does. He tempts you when you are doing God's work or about to bring him some glory to try to prevent it. Look at Matthew sixteen, go there, and then we'll then we'll go to Acts. Matthew sixteen, another example. Is everyone on the same page? We're following along? Okay, Matthew 16. This is a classic example right here. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read one verse from Matthew 16. I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes. But look at this. Jesus is nearing the cross. Now, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan has tried to prevent him from going forth, right? Luke chapter 4 is the temptation. And, G, and, and Satan says, Hey, Jesus, I'll give you all the kings of the world. All you have to do is bow down to worship me. But you can have a kingdom without going to the cross. Who wants to suffer? Right? Take the easy way out. So just just bow. Right? That's that's right as he's beginning his ministry. Now he's nearing to the cross. And sometimes as you get closer to that destination that God has, the intensity will, will pick up. And now it's not Satan. Now it's one of his closest disciples speaking. Look at... Um, um, where I say Matthew 16 and uh, he basically says I'm going to the cross look at verse 22 and Peter took him aside and rebuked him and saying God forbid it Lord that this should ever happen to you go back to verse 21 I'm sorry from that time Matthew 16:21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised in the 30 he goes thursday and he said this is what my i'm this is what i'm going to i'm going to jerusalem i'm going to be crucified but i'm going to raise again and in verse 22 peter says god forbid it lord you're not going to go to the cross no you're not going to be killed this shall never happen to you and jesus turns to peter and says get thee behind me satan Well, satan's talking through peter You are a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on whose? Mans. Man's. See, when he tempts you, it's always appealing to you, right? We'll get to that in a second. He'll tempt you. Go back. Uh, now we're back in a... Oh, oh boy. Look at Acts 15. I'm going to show you another example. And guess what? If I don't finish my three points, that's okay. We'll come back to it next time, but I'll still keep going. Acts 16. Look at this. Here's what he does. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Book of Acts. And chapter 16, 15. I'm sorry, 15. Okay. Paul and Barnabas have, they've been ministering and they have gone to multiple cities. They've encouraged people. They've ministered. And they wanted to go back to every city. Uh, Look at verse 36. Acts Acts 15, verse 36. Now, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go back and visit the church that we ministered, right? That's a good thing, right? Those churches were planted, and they were discipled, but they need, you know, oh, let's make sure they're okay, and let's shepherd them some more, and those are good things. But look at verse 37. And Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark. He's the one who rakes the gospel of Mark, John Mark. He wanted to take, some, take him along also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Mark deserted them. Paul's like, I don't want to bring that guy along. He left us. And Barnabas like, well, let's bring him along. Now, Barnabas' his name means son of encouragement, right? So he wants to be an encourager. And so Paul says, well, I'm going to go with Silas. Look at, look at verse 40. Paul chose Silas and left. Wait, I'm sorry. I skipped the verse, didn't I? I skipped the main verse, didn't I? <laughs> Let me look at thirty-eight again. Look at verse 30. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there was such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas takes Mark, and Paul will take Silas. Now here's the deal: these men work together in ministry. Helping the church grow and plant and grow. let's go back. I want to take John Mark. I don't think he should come. And they had such a disagreement that they split ways. Now they're still doing ministry, but now you have this division here. Right? See, that's why, that's why Paul says we are, you know, that the whole unity of the spirit, you know, the body is one. Satan will try to cause division within the body of Christ little fractures in the armor, you know? And Lord, protect us from that, right? Lord, help us to not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit, and, and help us to be sensitive and kind to one and loving one. Because if he can cause a divided church, now, praise God, God used that. Because later on, Paul says, hey, bring Mark along. He's useful for me. Right. Back to Ephesians 6. The schemes of the devil. When else, when he'll tempt you? Oh boy, this is obvious. He'll tempt you when the object of your temptation is right in front of you or in your sight. Temptation is often most powerful when the thing you desire is nearby. Go to Genesis 3. Go to Genesis 3. Is that the heat on, or is it just the fan? I think it's just the fan. I think I put the fan on. It's actually feeling like a nice Arizona winter today. <laughs> this, is, this is the first temptation. I'm going to read, the, let's look at the first verse. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed... Has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it. And then she adds, that, or, And you shall not touch it lest you die. Now God didn't say that. He said don't eat it. Now the implication is this, is that perhaps she's not near the tree right now. The tree's over there. The tree that's in the midst of the garden, not the tree. Now, somehow, some way, Eve comes to be in front of the tree. And I don't know how she goes from talking about the tree over there to then being, in fact, she goes, look at verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise, and she took of its fruit. Somehow, she, she goes over the tree. Temptation is often, now obviously, she's, this is pre fall. She's not fallen yet, right? She doesn't have the sin nature, she doesn't have the flesh, you know. But now let's think about for us. You have certain weaknesses in your life, and you know they're your weaknesses. And when you don't think about them or see them, you're fine. But when you're confronted, whoa, ah, right? and you keep clicking. I want to see more. You know that something is tempting, you or someone is tempting, you. why do you keep walking by their house? Why do you keep torching yourself with revisiting old photos, drive-by, you know, whatever, you know, the thing that, the, you know, I don't know what it is. That's the why the, the psalmist says in Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat scoffers. There's a progression, right? Go to Proverbs 7. Go to Proverbs 7. See, someone or something is your kryptonite. <laughs> and for some reason, you're tempted to be around that kryptonite. And then you know better. And so I don't know about you, have you guys been to the Grand Canyon? Mm-hmm. You guys been to Grand Canyon? Right? It's a big hole, right? And there's pretty much only one word you can say when you say it is, wow. <laughs> you know? Okay. I don't know about you, when you go to the Grand Canyon, I don't want to go to the edge. Right? I don't, I don't want to go to the edge. I want to go, okay, that's, I'm cool right here. <laughs> I'm fine right there, you know? But some people, in temptation-wise, they want to go to the edge. They want to play. Hey, let's. what would happen if I... Maybe I should strap my belt here and see what happens if I try to dangle. How far can I go before trouble happens? Or well, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls and the, the Canadian side, the Horseshoe Falls. So there's... At least when we were there back in the '80s, I think it is. Last time I was there, I grew up in Buffalo, so there's, these, there's this rail right here. It's not that high, and the water's right there, and you can stand at the precipice of the, and you're like you're like watching the water go back. Like, it's almost mesmerizing. Like, you know, it's not that far down. It's almost like inviting you, come on in, come on in, right? You forget about safety, right? Look at Proverbs. Did I say Proverbs seven. Watch this. Um, sorry, Proverbs seven. Verse uh, 6. Let's start verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the simple and discerned among the sons a young man lacking a heart of wisdom, passing through the street near her corner, and he strides along the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening of that day, in the middle of the night, and in the thick darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not dwell at home. Stepping into the streets, stepping into the squares, and near every corner she lies in wait. So she seizes him and kisses him, and then, with a brazen faith, face she says to him, The sacrifices of peace offerings are with me. Today I paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out. out. I I did sacrifice to God. Now I've come out to meet you, to seek your face earnestly, and I have found you. This is the lady speaking to the young man. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. You get the scene. The bedroom is all, it's red. It smells good. It's all decorated. Come then, let us drink our fill as lovers until morning. Let us delight ourselves with the pleasures of love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone far away on a a journey far away. And he took a bag of silver with his hand, so he won't be back for quite a while. He's out with the guys. He's out doing some business. I'm paraphrasing. And on the day of the full moon, he'll be back. And with her abundant persuasion, she entices him. With her flattering lips, oh, you are so handsome. Oh, you meet my needs like my husband never met my needs. You just hear that, right? With her flattering lips, she drives him to herself. And he suddenly follows her like a dog on a leash. I didn't say that. I just, like, like, that's how it is. As an axe goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of an ignorant fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare and he does not know that it will cost him his soul. So now, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart go astray into her ways. Do not wander into her pathways. For many are the slain whom she has cast down, and numerous are all those killed by her. The ways of Sheol, that's the place of the dead, are in her house, descending to the chambers of death. See, Satan will tempt you with the object of your desire, with a temptation that you know is your weakness. And if you go along with it, before you know it, before there's a hook in your mouth and there's a liver through your liver. A liver wait, a liver through your liver? Arrow. An arrow through your liver. Don't play with that fire. And, and the temptation's real, isn't it? Right? He said, I'm lonely. Let me just share a couple more things, then we'll, we'll just do one point today, okay? One, just one point, because I don't have time for the other two. Bless the Lord. He'll tempt you also after you had great victory in the Lord, and also after you've had great defeat. Watch this. Oops. So after great victory, here's what we do. After you had great victory in the Lord, he'll tempt you with either boastful pride, or you'll say, you know, let's take a break. Here it is. Elijah meets with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. We went there and we went to Israel. We were there. We saw that. And he has this amazing victory, and he is victorious. And 1 Kings 18:40 says, this is him defeating him. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal and do not let them escape. So they seized him. Elijah brought them down to the, the brook of Kishon and slew them there. Wonderful victory. But no sooner does that happen than he gets a word from Jezebel, the evil queen jezebel sends messenger to elijah saying so may the gods do to me and even more if i do not make your life as a life of one of those by tomorrow and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life he had great victory that suddenly turned into he's fearful of of jezebel he wasn't fearful of the prophets of baal 400 because he had god on his side but one little lady and cause him to fear. Great victory, but yet great defeat. Sometimes he'll come at you and tempt you while you're defeated. Here's what we do. Great victory, the temptation is both so pride or lower your iron God. The temptation and defeat is this he'll drag you even more into depression. Yeah. Oh, you failed God too many times. You've given to the sin, you beat yourself up, you're, you're just a miserable person because you keep saying, I, I've got you, and you're like, you're right. And it's like a weight, and you're trying to float, and you're being dragged down like, and that's what he, he pals on you. That's what he does in defeat. Here's Peter, who's just said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will go you, I will die for you, Lord. And Jesus says, you'll deny me three times. No, I won't. And we all would have been with Peter, wouldn't we? Because we love our Lord. But when the soldiers come with real, you know, with real armor and knives and, and swords, yeah, we'll cut off the ear of the, the slave, but then we'll flee for our lives. And then when we're there, we'll say, I don't know the guy. Right? I'm his closest father. I will die for you. I don't know the guy. And he denies him three times. Now he has great defeat. Guess what? He goes out and he just weeps. And I don't know about you, but that's a time when when you have defeat like that, and you thought you 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 were so far, and you went defeated, and you think, now I'm unusable to God. There's no way God could, I have ruined my future with the Lord. And then the Lord says this, after the resurrection, he says, hey, go get Peter, (laughs) because I want to restore him. See, it's the grace of God. So sometimes we as a church, not this church, Lord willing, but the church in general, we tend to beat up on our own. Somebody falls, we don't want to harp on them. We say, see, 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 we want to, we want to pile on. We're not, we don't want to be gracious to them. But God's heart is always to restore the fallen man. Right? Amen? Okay, I'm not convinced with that. He doesn't say, Peter, Peter, you have to go through my rehabilitation program for 40 more days. and." And you gotta go and take a, a an inventory of your heart. Right? And maybe I'll let you be a doorman at at, uh, uh, at my church, or or maybe I'll let you put a, a, a hook on the line so you can go fishing or something, you know. Or he doesn't do that. The angel says, Go tell the disciples and Peter. When he meets with Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you really love me? Yes, Lord. Three times, and we know he uses different Greek words for love. And He basically reinstates Peter. And Satan wants you to think that your failure, that God can never use that failure. God's heart is always to restore. It's always his heart. Those of us who are falling, you were falling. He restores such a man, right? Restores such a brother. That's the heart of God. The heart of the enemy is to, to tear you down and keep you down. The heart of God is to, to restore and to see you, okay, Peter, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to restore you. And by the way, Peter ends up does end up uh, dying for the Lord as a martyr. He said he would die the first time. He didn't. God restored him and used him. By the way, speaking of victory, go back to Matthew 16, then I'll, uh, then I'll end. Matthew 16, we looked at it before. Speaking of uh, the temptation and victory and temptation and defeat, I, I should have pointed this out before, but I, I did say I was coming back here. Matthew 16, we were just in this very famous passage. Watch this. Go back to verse 13, Matthew 6:13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, uh, Matthew sixteen thirteen. he was asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Like, what do people say I am? Well, oh, some say you're this, you're that. Well, who do you say that I am? Verse 15. And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God ding, 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 right answer, right answer, right answer. You are the Son of God, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That insight came from my Father. He gave you that insight. And I also say to you that you are Peter His name means rock, actually, in in Greek. He's doing a play on words here. You are Peter, small rock, but upon this rock, this foundational confession of what you just confessed, I am the Son of God, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, right? On this rock, I will build my church. It will be built on who Jesus Christ is. Right? Right? And the gates of hell went up over power. By the way, in Caesarea Philippi, there's a big cave and there's this water used to flow. There used to be temples there, and it was called the gates of hell, basically, the gates of Hades. And they had worship to to, uh, the god Pan and other gods there, right? So Jesus is actually going to the devil's territory and picking up fight and says, I'm building my church right here, devil, and you can't do anything about it. So what God does, what Jesus does, he doesn't be shy away from, so the devil has somebody in bondage there. He doesn't say, oh, I'll respect your bondage. No, he goes and he takes control and he says, that's my child. I'm setting that person free. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now here's the thing. The victory is this. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. That's the victory, right? But then, not just a few verses later, Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And Peter said, you shall not do that. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You see that? Peter's victorious over here. But suddenly now Satan's speaking through him. You've got to be careful of that, right? Bless the Lord. Go back to Ephesians. We'll finish up real fast. In fact, he says, put on the full armor of God, verse 11, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Psalm 91, verse 2 says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the de- deadly pestilence. So, Lord is our deliverer. No matter what trap the devil leads for us, no matter our enticements, He is our deliverer and our stronghold. But we have to recognize the schemes that happen. Always be aware of how He wants to attack. And sometimes you know you're under a you're under you're you're undergoing spiritual attack. Guess what? Text somebody. Make a phone call. Say, Lord, I, I, there's something happening here? I can't explain. Something is weird. We're arguing, or just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just off. Lord, would you, would you please pray for me? You don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm. What, what, what God may be doing, and what Satan is trying to prevent. Or, you know, there's, there's spiritual battle. If you recognize that, then at least you, you have understanding of that, right? All right. Praise God. Hey, I got through one point. We have two more points. Guess what? Next time, we'll do the next two points. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you give us, in fact, Lord, you give us the tactics of the enemy. You, t- you show us, Lord, how, how he works. And though he's, he's too strong for us in our own strength, Lord, he's not strong enough for you. And our strength, Lord, is in you, not in ourselves, Lord. We put on the fulmer of God. We are defended by God himself, who is our refuge, our stronghold, our defense, our captain, our victorious warrior. And we know, Lord, that Your Word is truth, Lord. And we know that Satan twists and lies and tries to try to distort who You are, or what Your intentions are, Lord. But we we trust Lord. We pray, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as there's times when all of us go through spiritual attack, and there are, there are times, Lord, when it's hard for us to even believe, Lord, because the feeling of it is so intense to the opposite way that. that Lord we don't feel it but we have to by faith believe that and say Lord I stand on what your word says Lord I pray Lord as we grow as a church and each person each individual in here or watching online we all go through our own individual battles Lord help us Lord to be as those men were on the wall of Jerusalem as they were preparing to to guard one another watch out for one another Lord help us to be a church that loves and prays for one another that encourages one another Lord, let us, Lord, let us um, be a place, Lord, where where people can be restored and repaired and built up in you, Lord. And Lord, we do pray, Lord, that you would lead us, uh, provide, Lord, uh, someday, Lord, in your way, a place of our own where we can grow in fellowship. And we just want to ask your blessing on the place we're at right now, Lord. Thank you for this place and thank you for the the gentleman that allows us to meet here. Pour out your blessing in them, Lord. Bless those who are discouraged today, Lord, and help us to look to you, Lord, not to ourselves, but to you, for encouragement and strength. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Praise amen. the Lord. When we stand up, I don't. Everything that God's doing is His work, you know. That's, and and uh, God can do the impossible, and He work. He can, if He can speak through a donkey, right? If He can choose the greatest of sinners named Saul of Tarsus, which I think I'm going to move him off that list. He can. He can speak or use any one of us, and He loves each person here. He loves each person dearly, like he He gave His Son, and. If we leave here, if we not without realizing how much we 're loved by God and how much God wants us to know Him and trust him, and for some people that 's scary because you 've been in charge of your whole life you've been you 've been the God of your life your whole life, and you have to ask yourself where has it gotten you? but those who trust the Lord right, you guys are quiet <laughs> either in deep thought or. Okay, it's okay. Well, I just want to encourage you. Follow the Lord. Let's keep praying for one another. The Lord said to Moses, "Place my name on your the people with these words." This from the Aaronic blessing. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's my prayer for you in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Lord, we'll see you guys on Saturday to help. Brother Dwayne, Sister Julie, move. And, uh, otherwise, leave the chairs alone. Just let them be. Fellowship, pray for them. Just talk and visit. We'll see you guys next time, okay?